I didn't have an identity at that point. I didn't, I didn't know what my interests or my passions were. So it was like, I have to use these other people's lives, mm. identities to fill in the mm. gap on my own until mm. I can create enough space and clarity to understand, you know, the direction I want to go in. Hey, midlife ladies, welcome to the Dear Midlife Podcast. We're your hosts, Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired little girl living in a grown woman's body that's still full of sass with a sprinkle of some black girl magic. So girls, grab a glass of wine or your beverage of choice and join us for some unapologetic girl talk that will help you to remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. Let's go. Today, we welcome to the podcast, Lucas Lowe, who is a partner, dad, boss, life coach, and CEO of Dorado Consulting Group. Lucas shares with us his wide range of experiences and expertise that include aviation maintenance, management, team building, sober living, bicycles, van life, progress and productivity, teaching, training, coaching, real estate investing, as well as housing and community development, and At the same time, Lucas reminds us that we are so much more than just our careers and our skill sets. Lucas has survived drug and alcohol addiction, facing felony drug charges, the loss of a lifetime career in aviation due to no fault of his own, and nearly losing his marriage. It was this fall to his rock bottom in which Lucas realized that he was in a life or death situation and wanted to choose life. Perhaps... Those of you in our audience have been there too. Maybe it's not that proverbial rock bottom that we all recognize an addict likely experiences, but I guarantee if you are listening to this podcast that each of you out there in our audience has felt this way at some point in your life. You look at yourself and you just don't like who you've become. You feel stuck and you need to make a shift, but you just don't know how. Lucas is a certified neuro-linguistic programming practitioner and life coach who will share with us his journey as he overcame each of these challenges in his life. He provides us critical tools that will help you reevaluate your trauma in a new light so you can overcome them. And he'll recommend ways in which you can realign with who you are at your core and not in the way that others conveniently categorize you so that you can find true identity and inner peace. Please leave us a review and kindly let us know what you're enjoying about this podcast. We feel so strongly about the message we're putting out into the world that the midlife identity quote unquote crisis doesn't really have to be a crisis. We hope you align with these messages and that they're resonating with you. And if they are, please let us know. And now without further ado, let's welcome to the podcast, Lucas Lowe. Dear Midlife listeners, we are super excited today to have on the podcast, Lucas Lowe, who is a life coach and has so much life to share and experiences to share with us. So we are excited to dig in and unpack all of the juiciness that Lucas brings to the show. So thank you for being here today, Lucas. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Lucas, let's just dive in and... We were talking just before we hopped onto the podcast a little bit about how life shapes our identity. So perhaps you can start by sharing with our listeners a little bit about your journey and some of those pivotal 
experiences that have had an impact and shape on your life? Sure. Um, so I, I was born and raised in a small town in Idaho, a, a, a ski resort. So it's kind of this weird uh, wealth spread dynamic. There's these ultra rich, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, residents. And then there was like the working class. And then there's even like the poverty level. And so I grew up somewhere in the middle of that solid middle class, all white, very sheltered community. And in the mountains in Idaho, in high school, in that age range, there's not a lot to do. Uh, well, in hindsight, there is, but you know, we didn't think there was a lot to do. So we turned to partying and or the group of friends I fell in with. That was our thing. You know, I had a pretty standard childhood. Uh, my dad was a pilot, so he was he was gone off and on, and that was a little a, a piece of it. But but mostly like the 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 crew I fell in with, we were the party kids. Um, we liked to go out on the weekends and drink, and then you know start getting into drugs, and um, that persisted. You know, most of my teens, twenties. And so, so I left there, I went to Chicago, um, I got a job in the airline industry, cut back on drugs, drank heavily, loved to party, loved to go out and went through that, came back to Idaho with the airlines, ended up in Arizona, followed uh, my now wife. Um, was from the same small town and we kind of hooked up. She was home from college for a summer and I ended up the next summer following her to Arizona where she was coming down to go to grad school. And we were both partiers. Like we loved going to the bars and the college life. And I started bringing a little bit of drugs back in just weed and some of the like funner party drugs and here and there and just kind of not okay. You know, I would get drug tested at work and stuff, but I would always kind of figure out a way to make it happen. And then we got married, had kids, bought a house, kind of doing the regular American dream, what were mm -hmm. the right steps. And I was not like this addict, like desperate gutter, you know, drunk or anything. Mm. Just uh, it was a big part of my identity. Like that's what yeah. I enjoyed doing every day after work, start with the beer, get into some drinks um, on the weekends or when the wife's out of town, like it, it was just always there. And finally, and, and she was not okay with it. She, she liked to drink, but she, we started, you know, becoming a family, having a house. We had a kid. Um, she pulled way back and was like, Hey, we should grow up now. Probably not, you know, drink until we pass out at the bar anymore, you know? And I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I got you. But I couldn't, that's when I started, like, that's when it became like, okay, I'm an alcoholic. Like I literally can't do this. And, um, so that went on though, most of our, um, up until my daughter was two and my son was just about to be born and it every year kind of progressively got a little worse and bigger events and more trouble. And finally my wife went out of town one weekend and I got up some Coke and went to the bars with it in my pocket and got wasted blackout drunk and ended up punching a bouncer oh, no. who, who wouldn't let me into one of the bars and uh and got arrested and i had no recollection i woke up in jail didn't know what the hell had happened figured you know like oh dummy like i must have but i didn't know i had been arrested with drugs you know and so um so i was like hey let me get my phone call let me get out of here and they're like yeah, it's not going to happen till Monday, buddy. You're in for felony <laughs> drug charges. And I was like, 
what what did I do yeah and that's when things kind of got serious and I started I I mean just your mind races in that moment of just like whoa what's gonna happen and I got my wife found out right away her brother called her and told her uh I got out my phone was dead I had no shoelaces like just this walk (laughs) of shame feeling like shit hungover yeah, that's get, a, that's a new level to the walk of shame. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I had to, I had my phone was dead and I didn't have any money and I walked to the Circle K and I asked like they had a pay phone but I didn't have any money so I had to go in and use the guy working at Circle K's cell phone to call my brother in law to pick me up and I got home and my wife had found out I plugged in my phone and just blew up with messages from her of just like pack your shit I'm taking the kids you'll never see us again. I started Googling, you know, like what are typical sentences for people in Arizona with drugs and Arizona's particularly stiff with cocaine. Um, Mm. And they like to make examples of white middle-class men because those are the ones that think nothing can touch them. And so Mm -hmm. I was reading these horror stories of like one year minimum prison time and I'm freaking out. And, and of course, like when my phone turns on, my background is my daughter. That's like the first image I see is my little bubbly two-year-old daughter's happy face. And then these messages of just like, you'll never see these people again. And I knew that's like, okay, she's pissed. Like I'll, I'll be able to see my kid. But then the thought of like, I'm going to prison for a year. Like my kids first like memories that they're going to start forming are visiting dad in prison if they even visit. And I mean, and that's, so that was like low point. Like I was just like, they're better off without me kill myself and be done with it. Like, this is stupid. Like I'm not going to find a lawyer. I don't have any money. Like we can't go through this right now. Like I got a life insurance policy that'll take care of them. So that's kind of where I ended up. And I did, I made one phone call to a friend of mine, lifelong friend, and he had been in this kind of recovery mindset. He'd, he'd been sober for a couple of years And I kind of called him, I don't know, I was suicidal. I was like, you know, I'm going to call and say goodbye to my good friend Earl. And, Mm -hmm. um, and he was just like, yeah, I feel you, man. Like, that's shitty, like, terrible day. Like, sorry, that happened. He's like, tell you what, though, like, go to an AA meeting. And like, don't worry, like, not for the recovery, but there's a shitload of lawyers in AA. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times they'll work for people for for pro bono, you know, if you're in a recovery. And I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? That's a great idea. So I thought I was going to like game the system by going to this AA meeting and um, talking some lawyer into working for me. And I got there and I read the little like welcome pamphlet, which I'd been to AA off and on throughout my life, various arrests and stuff that it was assigned. But I read the like basic welcome package and it talked about like being, being brutally honest with yourself and others. And that line just hit me and I was like started like weeping in the like waiting room waiting for this meeting to start and then probably looked pretty pathetic but they're um, like he's he's ready he's yeah, ready yeah yeah <laughs> and so I just leaned into that and that became that overtook my identity for a good the first three years like was daily AA 6 a.m I'd get off work I work night shift so I'd get off work at 6 a.m go straight to an AA meeting tons of sponsors, tons of sponsees, helping others, showing up at events. And my wife, you know, when she calmed down, that was her thing was like, (laughs) I'm not leaving, but I am doing my own thing. Me and Lucy and the kids were, I have no other choice, but to keep pushing forward in the direction I want my life to go. I'm giving you this space to do whatever. And, and how this all turns out will be up to you. 
And so I just made that my identity and she gave me the space, you know, I'm sure she was annoyed at times when it was like, oh, another AA event, you know, when she needed help with the kids and we were remodeling a house and all this. But I, I took it as like life and death. Like I will lose my kids if I'm, if I don't change my life and I'll lose everything that way. If I go back to drinking even. And so that was it, you know, um, that put me on the path and um, that was a big part of my identity along with the career. You know, I started advancing in my career. I got promoted up into management positions and um, senior management and, and pretty high up the chain in this um, airline industry, which was good. You know, it provided us, you know, income and, but it wasn't, you know, I spent a lot of time sitting at a desk, which was I, when I started, I was hands-on fixing airplanes. I ended up behind this desk and I had a lot of downtime and I would, you know, kind of daydream about like right. side, side hustles and like, oh, entrepreneurship. Oh, I should start a coffee shop. Oh, I should start a bookstore. I should, <laughs> you know, start a cleaning company. Like, so I just had this kind of inner thing boiling up and my wife's been a lifelong entrepreneur. She's an architect and a college professor and just that's been her life. And I, and I was wow. always like, no, I'm a company man. I love structure and I love the time clock and just knowing that my pay is going to be there. And, and I did like those things, but I had like maybe a little jealousy or just this idea. If I could make something for myself, you know, that would, that would be a lot more fulfilling than making this other person's company succeed, right. you know? And so I had that going on and I spent a lot of time daydreaming and, um, and, and the whole like path of recovery led me into just personal development in general. Just, I went to therapy, uh, went to lots of couples things with my wife. I love books. So I started reading and just learning all kinds of modalities of healing and personal development and bettering our lives and helping our children and being a better boss. And, so all this was kind of going on. And then fast forward to this past September. So a year ago, in a couple, in a, at the end of the month, I was fired from my job. And oh, wow. yeah, and it was kind of uh, when you get to that level and with the airlines, everything is government regulated. Mm -hmm. And it came down to literally a paperwork error. Um, mm. that, that was like a highly regulated government document thing. And I made a mistake uh, or there was a mistake. I won't say I made it cause I did not, but, uh, it was, I guess, unforgivable. And that led to my termination. And I, and it, I had been there for 17 years. I'd been with oh another, another airline prior to that. I had worked for, for four years. So I'd been in the airline industry 21 years. That was all I knew. And I was freaking out again. I found myself the same as this, like waiting to find out what happened with the drug charges where like I was in a different city. I was at my company's headquarters. My wife was at home. COVID was wrapping up, but she had had a tough year. She had had to bring all of her business into the house because our children were home. Yeah. I, I never got a break. I was traveling the whole time through COVID for work. She had to scale back her practice. She had to scale back her teaching she had my, my two kids and their cousin in the living room right behind her. Like she was stressed and I was just like, oh, this is so bad. Like she's going to, she's, she's going to divorce me. Like, or she's not going to believe me that it wasn't my fault or, you know, and so I started this like terrible mindset of like, how, how can I lie to her? You know, should I just never come home and disappear? Should I just lie and say, I, I'm not fired and just leave every day until I find a job, you know, like I'm like, playing these scenarios out and, and it ended up, I, 
you know, I had a long drive home and I got some clarity and I ended up telling her and she believed me and was like, you know, this is tragic, but like, we're going to be okay. You're smart. And, and at the same time, she was starting a development company, building houses. Hmm. And she's like, I'm struggling. I've been home all year, the kids, everything. Like I want to build houses and I need help from you. Like I, I need to hire somebody. So like, just let's start this together and you can handle the stuff I don't like doing, which is marketing and the social media. Funny life will just align like that and Mm -hmm. bring things together that you probably wouldn't have seen, wouldn't have wanted to do. You're like, I'm 21 years company, man. This is what I do, but it opened up the door for something so great. I love this. And so, so like we had, my retirement and everything, I cashed out. I made some stupid money mistakes right when this happened, but we had a kind of a padding to like pay the mm-hmm. bills. So we weren't freaking out. Like we're like, we're going to survive money-wise. We're not going to lose our house. The kids can keep doing their sports. Like we're going to be okay, but we need to start making some decisions. And w- there's a guy in our community who's a coach and he is a very successful coach. He coaches coaches. And he was putting together this like three-day marketing money mindset mastermind class and it was like 400 bucks three days online and she's like why don't you just tune in we know the guy so we know he's not kind of a scumbag whatever tune in and check his thing out maybe it'll help you with marketing for when we get there and i'm like okay and just that small thing even shifted again pivoted the whole trajectory because i got in the room with all of these men and women that are coaches and was like, oh, I'm here. I'm helping my wife with her real estate stuff. I'm not a coach. And I was talking to these guys and listening to their stories of how they became coaches and how much money they were making and how many people's lives they were influencing and helping. And I was just like, I I could do that. Like I've, been, <laughs> I've done that in the recovery community, in my own life, with my children, with friends, family. Like I love that type of work. You know, I want to help people. And I have all this knowledge because I've sat and read and studied and taken courses like I'm perfect for this and so so that's when Dorado um, consulting group started was like I'm going to start a consulting group to leave my options open because I could do some coaching I could help wife's business with her marketing and whatnot and my brother-in-law had a business at the time that I was helping a little bit with his marketing and website stuff so that was the start of coaching and that's what now you know it's coming up on about a year and I've got this coaching service. It's still new. I'm still feeling my way through it and making small pivots here and there, not getting attached to one. You know, there's so many coaching was so new to me. Like I'd heard the term life coach, but I kind of blew it off as like, that's, that's not real. And, (laughs) and so now I'm, I'm just feeling my way through that. And I've kind of, you know, been through some iterations of who I want to serve and, and the people I want to help. And so, yeah, that's, that's my story. Sorry. That's a long-winded story, but I can go on for hours. We loved it. And there's so many good things to unpack there. And, you know, one of the things that is sort of weighing on my mind early on that really struck me is the gradual progression of your addiction and this assumption of personality or identity within that. So I feel like that is that happens to all of us at some point in time. You don't realize it's like this 
it kind of sneaks up on you mm-hmm. and you just are living your life every day. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in this space and place where you're like, oh man, I'm an addict. Like it, it just sneaks up on you or, oh man, I'm, I'm a soccer mom and I have no idea what's important to me, to me anymore. I'm, so, I'm taking my yeah. kids every fucking soccer game. I don't even know what way I'm coming or going anymore. And so it is like life sneaks up on you and you yes. get lost in this identity, this persona. So, I mean, I know it sounded like that dramatic incident that pulled you, like snapped you out of it. But what were some of the first things that you did to overcome that? Because I can imagine it takes a lot of commitment and focus to really start to shift your mindset. And when you are lost in an identity, to step into a new place in space, you have to change so much. I have, um, my ex-husband is is a recovering alcoholic. And I know from experience, you almost have to change everything in your entire life. So how do you go about doing that? And what are the steps that you can take to really change your mindset, to change your life and to recover and rediscover who you are at your core? Yeah, um, good question. So one, you know, and this is something that that was prevalent through my help with other addicts and stuff is like the the easier, the people that that change the quickest and that and have the most success in overcoming this battle are the ones that are like at that bottom. Like for me, the thought of my children being taken away right, and losing my career and my life that I had built and spent my entire life up until that point building was enough that it was just like the, the reasons why I drank didn't go away, but the decision to never do it again or to stop doing it and to dedicate my life on a different path was really fast. It was like, this is it. You don't have a second chance this time. You don't have any more chances. I had had, I've been arrested a number of times, DUIs, drunk in public, all kinds of trouble in my life. And I've always been given these chances and been, (laughs) and this was it. Like there was, it was very clear in the conversations I had with my wife that, 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 like, I don't have time. She's a, she's a go getter. Like she, her life has been on this upward trajectory long before mine ever was. And she was just like, I don't have time, like fix it right now today or don't ever see me again. And I was just like, shit. Um, so, so lucky you for having a woman of strength. Oh yeah. Um, by your side, because that's what it, it took. Yeah. So, so the decision was easy. Like no matter what, I wasn't going back. AA was a tool um, that I used. And I think for me, the biggest thing, and, and, and along with kind of how I've helped other people adopt these new perceptions on life is I had to surround myself, you know, with recovery. I had to surround, I had to read books about it. I had to read books about Mm. the mind and how it works and why we try to escape and what, and then take, and then therapy, looking at my life, like what was the pain inside me? What are the contradictions in my belief systems and my values and my identity that are causing me this need to erase it or, you know, kind of blur it with drugs and alcohol. And so 
It's a lot. Like one of the, one of the advice that I got in a, like the first day, like some guy, you know, Hey, nice to meet you. Like keep coming back was one. And then he said, he said, you're going to meet a ton of people. Everyone loves newcomers and they want to help you. My suggestion to you would be to take every piece of advice, whether you think it's good or not, whether you agree with it or not, follow every single piece of advice you get for at least the first nine months to a year, just whatever they say, just do it. And I started doing that and it led me down some interesting paths. Like, you know, just in casual conversation after meetings and stuff, people would be like, oh, you should develop a dialogue with God and just talk to him like he's a regular person. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so so I've never been a religious person and I still don't really consider, you know, I don't fall into any religious category, but I'm spiritual and I'm faith-based. And I I do think there's, you know, something, the universe, something out there, you know, bigger than I am. But I just was like, fuck it. Hey God, uh, I'm driving home. (laughs) I'm stressed out about money right now. I don't know what to do next. I hope my wife will, you know, move past this. And well, you know, that was one thing I did. And then, and then tons of people say, Hey, give me a call. And I think most of them in the AA community really mean that like they want you to call them before you think about using drugs or alcohol again. But I'd be, like I said, I'd kind of been through this recovery in AA a few times in the past. And it's like, give me a call sometime. And I'd be like, okay, buddy. Yeah, right. And um, so I wrote down every single person's phone number and I would sit there. I would call them the next day. Hey, Scott, Luke, you told me to call. What's up? Oh, nothing. I just, how's your recovery? It's great. You know, so I just surrounded myself with people in recovery. I made my life about recovery. I, like I said, read books, listen to podcasts, talk to people helped others ask where I could be of service, you know? And so I think getting outside of, I didn't have an identity at that point. I didn't, I didn't know what my interests or my passions were. So it was like, I have to use these other people's lives, identities to fill in the Mm. gap on my own until I can create enough space and clarity to understand, you know, the direction I want to go in. I love that. uh, I don't even remember where I heard this before, but it's this notion of borrowing confidence from other people until you build up your own confidence. And that's exactly what that sounds like. And I I feel like a lot of the lessons that I'm hearing in this are the lesson of when you want to change or do something new, or, you know, you do have a, a big shift that you have to, or want to go through that it's key to surround yourself with people that have been there, surround yourself, the people that are doing what it is you want to do six months, 12 months, five years, 10 years down the big, line. Big time. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of that whole shifting of the identity. You know, you can't expect to walk into any situation and just shift without the knowledge. You did the work, Lucas, yeah. you did the work through reading and um, educating yourself and surrounding yourself with the right people and staying true to that commitment until you found what you loved and what was going to be your next shift. For sure. Yeah, that's so powerful. I was thinking the same thing too, as I was hearing it, you know, really what really, the word that kept coming to my mind is creating a community Mm. and surrounding yourself with a community of like-minded people who are supportive, um, who are modeling what you maybe potentially aspire to. And I love the idea too, 
that you just were willing to receive every single idea that was given to you. And I think our ego often gets in the way when it comes to receiving new ideas and trying new things. We tell ourselves we can't. We tell ourselves, I, I don't have enough money. I, I, I will embarrass myself. I will fail. So how did you get beyond your own ego to try new things and embrace new things? And when was it that you figured out who you were? What was, was there a defining moment when you're like, oh, I can really settle into this. This is who I'm meant to be. This is where I'm meant to go. I think, I think with recovery, it was this like life or death. And, and that's, that pushed me past any hurdles where I have experienced exactly what you're saying though, is like this new, this new path of my life, like coaching is a very, well, the, you know, in today's society with like social media and organic marketing, like it is this very face forward and talking into the abyss of the computer to, to share your voice and your message and writing vulnerable posts. And then and then, you know, the scary part, getting a client that's like, okay, help me. And you're like, oh shit, I hope I can. Um, you know, so that's been the biggest uh, where my ego has shown up because I feel pretty solid in my recovery. Like I did mm -hmm. that work. I overcame that problem. And, but I was still, you know, a big part of my identity was I was the airline guy. I had a job. I had a career. People knew me. I was mm -hmm. successful. So, and I, and I kept that recovery, a lot of it away from my work. People knew I didn't drink, but nobody knew my story. Like that mm -hmm. was personal stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was very just businessman, you know, manager, nice clothes. Like, so now that I've shifted into this kind of more public forward facing, helping others, trying to, trying to sell myself, my story, that's where my ego showed up and I'm still mm -hmm. working on it. You know, it's hard for me to, to speak publicly, to have these conversations with people, um, or just to the abyss again, to record a video or record a live, like it's, it's nerve wracking. And my ego does kick in and it's like, people aren't going to like your message. People think life coaches are toxic. Like, hmm. you know, your old friends are going to judge you, you know? And so I have those fears and I love the, there's a, I don't know who to give credit to this quote too, but I quote it all the time. It's like, the idea of courage is that it's not the absence of fear. It's having the fear and doing the thing anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I really try and embody that. And I'm scared to death to be on a podcast, but here I am. Like, I don't know how people will react to it and I can't control that. And I'm, I, I, I know it's an important step for my process. And so I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I think it's, it's, Ego is a tough one. I think that it's just being sure of yourself and feeling confident and knowing like I matter to myself. I matter yeah. a lot to my family. I matter to my wife and my friends. I have an important voice and an important message. And yeah, there are going to be people that will judge me and think I'm stupid and silly and all those things. But I'd rather share myself and make my family and my friends and myself proud than worry about that. So it's kind of doing what you have to do to ensure I'm honoring myself and I'm honoring the commitments I've made in my life. Yeah. Well, and, and your quote comes from the amazing Nelson Mandela. There we go. Yes. Who yes. had to live in what would be probably the most fearful situations for most of us. And he stood and showed courage. 
and triumphed over it. So Mm. um, it's a great blueprint for life, you know? So, so, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is in your story, there's, there's these pivotal moments. There's, you know, the moment in an Arizona pokey, (laughs) start there, (laughs) Right. right? The Arizona pokey, gotcha. And then um, there's obviously the pivotal moment at, you know, being fired from your job for something that seems so trivial. Um, how would you coach or, or speak to others about taking these pivotal moments that really can be perceived as tragedies and use them as springboards to grow or springboards to success or springboards to a new identity? Sure. I think, you know, it's, it's very case by case, like even with as tragic as those events were in my life, like they're not, uh, I won't even call them first world problems, but they're not like, you know, uh, there's some tragedy, there's some trauma out there happening. And I'm, I want to be very careful in how I approach that to say that, like, you know, the, the, the rape victim or the, you know, the cancer diagnosis and stuff like, wow, those things can long-term lead to these pivotal changes that like elevate one's life. Like that's a hard conversation to have in the heat of that trauma. And that's where like coaching and therapy are two different worlds. And so, so I don't want to like cross streams and be like, you know, any, anybody can overcome from any tragedy (laughs) and springboard their life into this great thing. Like there is trauma happening. And I want to make room for those people that like, this isn't the message to everyone going through a terrible experience that this will be your path to. It can be, but in my coaching, one of the things that's important is like to detach from the external parts of yourself. Like my identity is so much of my internal workings and my core beliefs and my family and the very close things to me. And I work hard now. And that's where this like idea of revisiting my identity every couple of years, I want to keep my identity a little bit detached from the external things like of the airline job or the good at good at marketing, or, you know, like those are skills that I have, but they don't make up my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, if I could help my clients reach that level of like, yeah, you're a, a realtor, you're a, a banker, that's your career, that's your job, those are your skill sets. Your identity, though, is is a, a level higher than that in this kind of like mental hierarchy of like mm-hmm. your purpose in life, your identity, your your beliefs, your capabilities, your behaviors, your environment, like. Yeah, uh, it's a tough one. And I think it takes shedding all the layers. And a lot of people hold on to these pieces of identity for dear life, you know, that aren't serving them. And it's because it's habit and and it isn't. It's an addiction as well of like the starving artist syndrome of like, you know, I find community with these other starving artists. Like I would never try and sell my art to make money because then I would be shunned by this community. It's like you're holding on to this identity that artists have to starve and that your, your art is not valuable and that you have to live this life. Like what if with that money, you can build a community for all the starving artists to thrive in or teach other artists how to elevate their lives. And so say detachment from external influence, make your identity about who you are inside and what you stand for rather than the various activities and events you go through in life. 
and I then and then and then like there's um I do some work like with breathing and story work and writing exercises that are really good at creating distance so one of the things that happens is people don't people don't get the stories out of their head we have these stories running around that are trapped in our head you know like oh this this terrible thing happened to me and it's there's no beginning and no end of that story when it's trapped in your head. And so it's, it influences every decision you make. It influences the way your life turns out. The minute you can write that story down, you now have a beginning and an end of that story. And I can go through the individual pieces of that story and reframe them and look at them in different ways and say, yeah, this may have happened. Like this is the fact this happened, but you've made it mean this, this, and this about you. And those things don't have to be true. You can choose a different meaning for those things, or you can see it from another perspective. And once you've written it down and you've gotten some breath and you've aired out that story, it's a lot easier to see the, the additional options you have to choose because so many people get stuck in this like, oh, I this happened and here's the only possible path I could have taken. And when you write it down and you breathe into it and you get some distance, you're like, oh, <laughs> I see seven other exit strategies I could have used. I should have done those or, or, you know, those would have been better choices. So it, again, that's like a pretty solid way to unwrap that like uh, hijack, it, you know, of all your emotional triggers and everything are tied to these stories that we've been telling mm. ourselves. And if we can start writing them down and untangling those stories, one, you can move past a lot of them just dropped right there. Like, Oh, I don't have to live that way anymore. That's great. Uh, and the tougher ones maybe require a little bit deeper work and, and just that's, that's where I start, you know, that is such good advice and oh my gosh, so many good nuggets of wisdom there. And one that really resonated with me is this idea of detachment and really separating yourselves from what is external and Trinity and I have been noodling around in our brains about this idea of realignment with core values, yeah. you know, really, truly identifying at the heart, what gets you out of bed every day? What is it that is an inner passion? What makes you tick? And it has nothing to do with what I do for a living. It has nothing to do with the roles I play. It has everything to do with who I am on the inside and this this gaining realignment. I think in midlife, we lose the path. We get re self-absorbed with the external things and we lose sight of who we are as individuals. And so I think I love that idea of just realignment with the internal self and the authentic core values of who you are and what's so important to you. And I love the idea of the storytelling to put things on paper so you can really extract what's true, what's not true, what different stories might there be. And I love the idea um, too of writing down stories because I think the stories that you can also write down if you focus on even some of the positive stories, like what are the things that you're most proud of or tell me a moment where you feel like you've achieved the highest level of success and love, that's when you can actually start to even pinpoint what are those core values. Because yeah. if you can tell the stories of the moments that you're proud or you felt lifted up and enlightened and loved, those are the, that then threads through and pulls out what are For the sure. things that you value. Yeah. On the positive side, that that's an exercise they do is like make a top 10 list like top 10 highest vibe, highest achieving, highest successful moments of your life. 
And, and in doing that, I've been blown away. People I even know well, like the accomplishments that people have that, and they have to dig them out. It'll take them a week to come up with this list. Mm. But, and then you look at it and you're like, there's Nobel prize winners that haven't done this type of work. Like you are. a, <laughs> And I think that that's a huge one. The way our, so I'm a nerd with neuroscience and, and how our brains work. And I study neuro-linguistic programming as well. And so like the way our brains file away each day in our memory is like, if, if all of our, you know, there's your brain takes a billion snapshots a day. And at the end of the day, it kind of compiles them into a file and saves it. Right. And throughout that day, if nothing really significant happens, your day just gets filed away in the file of, you know, September 1st, 2021. And if nothing happened that day and someone asks you, what'd you do on September 1st, 2021? You're like, I can't remember. If it was a Monday, I know I had a meeting like, okay. Um, But if like, let's say you had love at first sight or you kissed the girl you love for the first time, or you uh, were hit by a car like your brain pulls those files out of that day and saves them as like significant events, whether it's trauma or, well, s- trauma is the one that we all know because like traumatic things happen. We remember those moments yeah. very clearly. S- great successes, people have shifted away from this idea of celebrating success, like in the name of the grind or whatever it is, like the next thing, the next thing I'm so busy, I can't stop. And you look back and there's these like, 10 things that are like, holy shit, like, oh my God, you did that? Like, was there a parade? And they're just like, nah, it was a Wednesday. I don't really remember. And then I just get like onto the next thing. I'm like, stop, like you're an amazing person. And so, so there's that, the top 10 list, and then you can break it down even. And like, this is a, a, a hack from like elite athletes and um, is like at the end of each day, looking back and it's called ESP effort, success and progress and, and pick one thing that you gave your best effort to throughout the day, one thing that you had some success with and something you gave, made some progress on. And they can be dumb things. It can be like, oh, I, I cooked a really good dinner. I made progress on my guitar playing and I put a lot of effort into getting my kids to school this morning. Like, but, but by doing that and recognizing, taking a moment to like mark those in this file system in your brain, do that for a month. And now when you look back on that month, instead of it just being like, oh, there goes September, you're like, damn, I made, I'm making progress every day. I'm having successes and wins. Like I'm a, I'm a badass person. So it's like changing your memory of how your life is. And, and, it, and then the real elite, like Olympic athletes are doing that, like throughout the day periodically, like, okay, this workout, my best effort was on my shoulder press. And my success was I broke blew through my plateau on my sprint time. And my progress was uh, my legs are getting stronger, you know, like, they're breaking it down to, okay, this meal, the best effort was scrambling the eggs They, you know, <laughs> um, so so there is a lot of power in the success side, the positive side, and not just mm-hmm. the trauma too, for sure. Yeah. And in that you can shift your story and even re-embrace and realign and reignite your passions, who you are. That's, I love that idea. I love that idea. You have so many wonderful tips and I know our audience members are going to want to seek you out and learn more about how they can embrace, you know, the positives in their life, how they might be able to shift their story, shift their mindset and reinvent themselves. So if they wanted to find you, Lucas, where would we find you? Uh, the best is social media. It's Lucas Lowe, Progress Engineer on Facebook. 
and uh, Lowy Low on Instagram, or you can just search for Lucas Low, and I pop up there too. But yeah, uh, social media, and you'll be able to get in my DMs, and I'm I'm responsive. Um, that that's kind of the biggest way. I also LinkedIn Lucas Low. You know, like I'm on all the the big ones. I haven't branched out into TikTok or. Any of that. <laughs> I'm 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 a little old school still, and and again, that's my ego. Is like I I kind of had thrown away Facebook prior to this, and was like I hate social media. Um, but I'm re-embracing it as a tool to help spread the message and stuff. And I've got a really exciting like in the next month or so I'm launching with a couple of other coaches and really badass dudes, a, an adventure program where we're going to, we're going to do transformational work through adventure, like backpacking, rafting, mountain biking, camping. Cause there's so much power in nature um, that we're unable to tap into sitting behind a screen on zoom that um, we want to get outside and, start doing that so that's coming up and then i do one one-on-one work with clients i uh, have it in my purview to start a group program there's all kinds of opportunities so that's wonderful i love i love the adventure program that sounds so fun it's gonna um, be. thank you yeah Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucas. It was such a joy to talk to you and gosh, you had so many good pieces of wisdom and ideas for us to really start to take new focus, change our life, make a pivot and embrace who we are. So thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. I cut, by the way, I love the title of your show and I did a post about it where I said, you know, everyone I know is kind of going through midlife crisis. I feel like I'm having this midlife renaissance. And I think that that should become Ooh. a thing is like, it doesn't have to be a crisis. You can go through a big change in your midlife, but it doesn't have to be negative. It can be this renaissance. And like, I'm recreating myself in my midlife into this amazing person. So I love Amen. it. you are yeah. totally feeling our vibe then. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a wonderful weekend. Yep. You too, Lucas. Thank you so much to our guest today, Lucas Lowe, who is a life coach and neurolinguistic practitioner. He reminds us that one, people are so much more complex than what you see at face value. Two, be open-minded to take as much advice and wisdom from others who have walked the path before you as possible. Three, look to the personas and identities of others you admire to fill the space until you form your own identity and self. Four, revisit your identity every couple of years and keep it detached from the external ideals that have traditionally defined us, such as your jobs or skill sets. Number five, write down your stories and get them out of your head. When you do, you can reframe old narratives and look at them in a new way. And six, keep a journal focused on ESP, effort, success, and progress. Document one thing you put extra effort into today, one success, and one thing in which you make progress on every single day. Thank you, Lucas. And if you're loving the Steer Midlife podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review.